the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, TGIF. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you, filling in for Deborah Flora from 3 to 4 on News Talk 710-KNUS. 303-696-1971 is our telephone number. If you'd like to join in to the festivities, you can also text into the show on the 710-KNUS app. On your smartphone, name in town, name in town, please, if you wish to text in. And, of course, you can email me 24-7-365 via my show's page. That is, of course, the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. That airs 6 to 9 every Saturday morning. You go to that page at 710knus.com. Shoot me a note from there or log on to my website, jimmysangenberger.com. Keep in mind, there's no AI or U in Sangenberger. It's all ease all the time. Once you know that, Sangenberger is easy. And speaking of the Jimmy Sangenberger show, I will tease the program for tomorrow later on at the end of this show. But yesterday marked 10 full years to the day of the launch of the Jimmy Sangenberger show. Here on 710 KNUS, originally Saturday nights from 5 to 8. Now it is and has been since November of 2021, I think, has been Saturday mornings from 6 to 9. But it's been a full decade and what a ride it has been. We're going to have some fun tomorrow. Today, open lines, open skate, 303-696-1971, with much to talk about. One of these breaking news stories. So, John Fetterman, the senator from Pennsylvania, presided over the U.S. Senate in uh, much too casual attire. And the dress code has been loosened by Chuck Schumer for the benefit solely of one U.S. senator, and that would be Senator John Fetterman. Now, I understand that Fetterman has a disability. He had a stroke 18 months ago. That is truly no joke. And it doesn't mean that it is necessarily disqualifying if he can actually fulfill the job and the duties. But I fail to see why that should exempt anybody, Fetterman or otherwise, from the Senate's dress code. You go to elementary school kids who are in charter schools, and they have to wear uniforms most of the time. That is where it maybe it has the school logo, maybe it doesn't, but usually it's a polo and it's nicer shorts or nicer pants. And they don't necessarily want to do it. My girlfriend's son started up 
fifth grade at a charter school and has uh, been adjusting to the dress code requirements that go beyond what even John Fetterman gets to dress like in the U.S. Senate as a U.S. Senator. Well, centrist Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia is now, and I'm reading from the Hill here, circulating a proposal to reestablish the Senate's dress code, which Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer loosened over the weekend to allow senators to wear whatever they want on the Senate floor, according to senators familiar with the proposal. One person familiar with the resolution said it would essentially return the Senate dress code to what it was last week, which required senators to wear coats and ties or business attire when on the Senate floor. I've signed it, said one senator, who explained it would, quote, define what the dress code is. Schumer's decision appeared aimed at catering to first-term Senator John Fetterman, whose hoodie was a signature look on the campaign trail in 2022, and who wore a dark short-sleeved collared shirt and dark shorts to work Thursday. I mean, I don't know about you, but I find that utterly embarrassing. If I were a colleague of Fetterman's, one of the 99, I would be utterly embarrassed, especially since I think staff still have to follow the dress code. So senators get an exemption so that Fetterman can wear hoodies or dress otherwise casually on the Senate floor and doing Senate business. But the staff can't. Look, the staff should be dressed up. Senators should be dressed up. They should all be dressed up looking their best. Setting an example for of seriousness, of significance. So good on Joe Manchin for saying, you know what? We need to bring this dress code back. In fact, as the Hill reports... The decision to loosen the dress code is getting bipartisan pushback, including from Senate Democratic Whip Dick Durbin, who says the Senate should have standards. This is the number two, number three Democrat. I think he's in line to be the next leader eventually when Schumer hangs up his hat. Durbin told the briefing with Steve Scully on Sirius XM, quote, the senator in question from Pennsylvania as a personal friend. But I think we need to have standards when it comes to what we're wearing on this floor of the Senate. And we're in the process of discussing that right now as to what those standards will be. How about they be the standards that have in some form or fashion been in place since 1789? Where you're supposed to dress up at whatever at the time is the formal attire. How about we just keep that standard? At most, maybe, I don't know, is there some issue with Fetterman wearing a tie? Maybe you you can say you can ditch the tie, but it's strongly encouraged. At most, if you're going to make an adjustment, I know I don't like wearing ties anymore. But you know what? Usually, when you wear them, they're for a good reason. I think the Senate needs to act on this, Durbin said. Senator John Cornyn of Texas described the bipartisan group of senators who want to restore the Senate dress code, quote, the coalition of the rational. 
<laughs> I like that. The coalition of the rational. Cornyn said a Senate resolution will allow, quote, other senators to speak on the need for a dress code and predicted it will come to the floor. It's just ridiculous that we should have to conform the dress code to the lowest common denominator. He said, yes, one person. Way to work in a math term there. One person. For whatever reason, is it guilt from Schumer? Is it left-wing sensibilities? 303-696-1971. Can somebody please try and get into the mind of... I know it's a scary thing. Can you try and get into the mind of Charles Schumer, the senior senator from New York, the Senate majority leader? Get into his mind and explain for me why... He would make this change to cater to, in the words of Senator Cornyn, the lowest common denominator to one single senator, because it doesn't make sense. Joe Manchin now leading the charge in this bipartisan group. You've got Dick Durbin saying, what the heck is going on here? We need standards. Yes, you do. Uh, Do you agree or disagree? Is this is this even something that we should be discussing? We have to discuss it in a sense. When the Senate is taking it up and making changes like that, it leads to the question of, do we have standards in our society? I mean, COVID certainly changed a lot, right? COVID changed a lot. That's abundantly clear. Because when we look at COVID-19, we've seen a lot of changes in dress, in how people conduct themselves, Heck, now you can turn on cable news and they have people casually sitting uh, via Zoom or other webcam program with uh, just a plain old boring backdrop or just, you know, their office desk or whatever. It used to be I've done I've never done anything like Fox or CNN or anything like that, but I did this I-24 news a handful of times back in. 2018, 2019, uh, thereabouts, beginning of 2020, I think, before COVID was the last time I did it. And there were a couple of times where they just had me on Skype, but they also had me go to this studio in Denver a couple of times where you would have professionals, they had a video camera, they had the backdrop, you did the whole thing. And that added an uh, an aura of seriousness of gravitas to the interview. You're you're not just casually sitting with any sort of backdrop. And that has changed dramatically. But now you can go to events and you have different things that that you've got. And certainly there are a lot of changes. But in the floor of the United States Senate, 303-696-1971, should they have changed it to cater to the lowest common denominator? Should they remove this change and bring back the old school requirement yes i certainly think so even though my preferred dress when i'm doing a lot of speaking or that kind of thing is colorado casual right the the jeans and you got the dress shirt and you got the dress coat so forth but look am i the only one who genuinely feels embarrassed look Fox News having the headline, Fetterman arrives for Zelensky meeting in shorts. That's embarrassing, too. 
Why do we not have standards in the Senate? What is it about Fetterman that they have to cater to? It is embarrassing for a United States senator to meet with a leader of another country. I don't care what that country is. Dressing in shorts, dressing in T-shirts. Democrats are hating on it. It's just nonsense. When Dick Durbin is saying that the Senate majority leader is wrong, you know there is something up. Oh, speaking of the United States Senate... New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez. New Jersey Democratic Senator Bob Menendez, who is the chair of the House Foreign Relations Committee. Senate Foreign Foreign Relations Relations Committee. Committee. He's being charged with corruption-related charges for the second time in 10 years. He was charged, indicted before, and there was a hung jury, and now he's being charged again for something completely different. Let's get right to Kara Scannell for the details on this. Kara, what are you learning? Yeah, John, so the U.S. Attorney's Office here in Lower Manhattan has announced that they have brought bribery charges against Senator Menendez and his wife. And according to the prosecutor's office, that they allege that Menendez's wife had received hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribes that they had done then used to help three New Jersey businessmen and the government of Egypt. This investigation has been going on for several years, and sources have told CNN that they have sent out rings of subpoenas to people seeking information about some of these businessmen and these relationships. Now, one of the businessmen is someone who has known Menendez's wife for a long time. Uh, He is someone that had obtained the exclusive right to export and certify halal meat to Egypt. That has been a focus of this investigation. And another one of the businessmen is a New Jersey developer. And prosecutors were asking questions about him, his communications with the senator and his wife. So as you said, though, this is the second time in 10 years that Senator Menendez has been charged with bribery and corruption. Hmm. Senator Bob Menendez of New Jersey, that's from CNN, by the way, indicted. This relates to Egyptian businessmen, and it's just a whole whirlwind. So you've got the, the senator who can't dress respectfully for the office that he's serving in, You have an indictment, additional corruption allegations against another senator on the Democrat side. You've got Chuck Schumer doing his thing vis-a-vis Fetterman and letting the Senate get a a pass on whatever they want to do as far as dress code and what have you. I don't know what's going on there in the Potomac, what they're drinking from that water. But maybe you have an explanation for me. 303-696-1971. It is Looney Tune Land in Washington, D.C. I mean, that's always the case, but especially now. I mean, I just... The dysfunction of the Republican caucus, too, in the U.S. House of Representatives is something else. Look, I, I appreciate a good stand for spending cuts. Genuine spending cuts. But some of the terms, some of the areas of focus of certain Republicans in the House that are holding up a deal that would be Republican-driven, I I just don't follow. And I think they are uh, uh, misguided at best, engaging in petty politics at worst. 
But, I mean, the, the idea that you have days of Republicans trying to work within among themselves to address this immediate need of a fiscal situation with regards to a potential shutdown. I mean, here's the thing. Normally, a Republicans could say, nope, the Democrats don't want to agree with our conditions on spending. We have the majority. We're trying to work this out with them. They're not playing ball. So if we're in a shutdown, it's the Democrats' fault, and you can make that argument. But when Republicans can't even get it together themselves, you can't make that argument. Because then if there's a shutdown, it becomes, oh, the Republicans can't work together. The Republicans are dysfunctional. The Republicans are responsible for the shutdown. And it plays badly when it comes to the politics. Because the Republicans can't even reach an agreement. I, I, and, and in the end, you're not going to actually get any cuts of, of a sizable note because the Democrat Senate ain't going to play ball. The Democrat president ain't going to play ball. The McCarthy's frustration, I could certainly understand. Frustrating in the sense that I don't understand why anybody votes against bringing the idea and having the debate. And then you got all the amendments that you don't like the bill. This is a whole new concept of individuals that just want to burn the whole place down. It, it doesn't work. I, I, I don't know. When I look at Looney Tune Land, D.C., I see Republicans who can't reach some sort of a consensus, look utterly dysfunctional, and will get blamed for any shutdown that happens because it will be their fault for not actually having a package that they're holding Democrats to. And keep in mind, they're doing something much better. It seems like there could be a possibility that Republicans will break up the appropriation bills, that is the spending bills, so we actually have 12 separate spending bills voted on separately as opposed to a single package, which I think would be a really good idea. But you hold up some significant things like the defense spending bill, and that could be ruinous for national security and for Republicans' uh, reputation when it comes to going into the 2024 elections. They have to be thinking clearly about what can we do to make ends meet here? What can we do to address some of the expenditures and address the the need to cut spending or and to hold down additional spending while also meeting the needs and the moment of ensuring just from the raw politics of it too that republicans don't open the door to legitimately being blamed for a shutdown just a couple of thoughts on washington dc the land of a senate with no dress code 303-696-1971. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for Deborah Flora. We're going to take a break. When we come back, what's happening with education in Colorado? We'll pivot to that a little bit because Jefferson County Schools is going after charters. And we've got some details on what's happening with charter schools in Jeffco. And then Denver Public Schools 
There's something new that they voted on their school board yesterday in pursuing a lawsuit against social media platforms. That and more coming up. What's on your mind? 303-696-1971, our telephone number. Keep it right here. Jimmy in for Deborah, 710 KNUS. Feeling good on a Friday, grooving back. Jimmy Sangenberger in for Deborah Flora, News Talk 710 KNUS. Just talking with Geronimo and about this whole dress code thing with John Fetterman and Chuck Schumer changing the rules of the Senate to eliminate the dress code, much to the chagrin of many Democrat senators, even including Joe Manchin, including Dick Durbin, who I'm pretty sure is next in line to take over for Schumer when they change leadership eventually. Who knows when that'll happen? And uh, I mean, they're both about the same age, I think, but. Uh, nevertheless, Durbin, top one of the top dogs in the Senate, the Democrat side, and he's saying, I think we need standards. Well, you're talking, and, and Geronimo made the point that we are lowering, not only, in this case, the dress code of the lowest common denominator, one person who seems to not want to dress appropriately or respectfully for the office he holds, but SAT scores and sort of dismissing that or getting rid of AP ta- uh, AP classes, as they're doing in places like California, hopefully won't come here, because we don't want some kids to be in more advanced classes than others because of equity. Or, heck, Denver Public Schools with good old Tay Anderson, outgoing vice president of the school board. And Tay is... Basically, they're like the the school board. Oh, it's Tay Anderson. So if he wants to get up and throw a little temper tantrum, that's okay. We'll let it happen because equity. I don't know because they don't want to bother with it because they're just like, oh, it's just Tay Anderson. He's doing his thing. I don't know. I don't know what the hell goes on in that regard. And why they don't put a stop to it on the school board in any meaningful way haven't. Of course, they might think now, oh, he's not my problem anymore because he's about to leave the board. But we have this societal issue of catering to the lowest common denominator in a way where it's like, let's throw out the standards instead of trying to raise people up to those standards, like students, for example, saying you can achieve more, so we're going to help you achieve more, get to the standards. Keep in mind, Denver Public Schools, going back to DPS, has like 40% proficiency for grade level in English and 30% in math. Like, those are dismal and unacceptable. And yet the attitude seems not to be as much let's raise the standards as let's bring the standards down. Why in our society? Is it that it's easier? It's that it fits somehow with the the progressive mindset of bringing everybody to a lower level? I mean, you think about the progressive mindset when it comes to taxation, for example. Money that you earn They want to tax it more when you're a millionaire or you're a billionaire because it's too much money. You need to pay your fair share. 
Some want to eliminate billionaires, make them illegal. Make it illegal to own a billion dollars. And have it all taxed at a certain threshold. Because equity, because, well, we don't think you should make too much money. We don't think that your grades should necessarily be too high. We don't think that you should really have dress code standards for the Senate. I don't know. This mentality is just nonsensical. 303-696-1971, our telephone number. What do you think is going on in our society? Here's other news from Denver Public Schools. Last night, this from the Denver Gazette, the Board of Education unanimously voted to retain attorneys to sue social social media organizations for damages over claims their platforms hurt students' mental health. The contract will entitle attorneys to 33.3% of any financial settlement. They've retained a law firm, Curtin McConkie, in Utah, who gave a presentation last night and said, you're not going to, it's not going to cost you a dime. If we win, we get a third of the proceeds, but it's not going to cost you a dime. The article here talks about how they went over research showing that frequent social media use may lead to unrealistic body ideals for men and women that can lead to mental health issues such as depression and anxiety. And TikTok has promoted disruptive challenges in schools that have included encouraging users to commit vandalization, theft, and making false police reports. And the harm to students is not just to mental health. The ubiquitous nature of cell phones and students on social media also cuts into classroom instruction. This lawsuit was filed in the U.S. District for the Northern District of California. DPS joining the lawsuit. And the claims are that uh, the explosion in social media use in the past decade was orchestrated by social media platforms, accusing the tech giants of, quote, maximizing youth engagement to drive advertising revenue. Here's the question I have. There's some truth to this. I get it. There is some truth to the concerns about mental health and the impact on kids of social media, without a doubt. But isn't it the responsibility of the parents to address this? Maybe parents doing a lawsuit if you're going to do something. School districts, I don't see why a school district is getting involved in this. What grounds do school districts have genuinely in a lawsuit like this, in suing social media companies? Because they are dealing with some fallout of mental health issues? Because they're not enforcing restrictions on cell phone use in schools? Blame the schools! If they're not enforcing cell phone limits in class, in schools, because maybe they don't want to have consequences to students, as is the mentality in Denver public schools, then maybe, just maybe... You're to blame, at least a little bit. In Texas, a cell phone ban among schools gave kids back five to ten minutes of instruction periods uh, for teachers. 
social media going on in the classroom. Okay, good. Limit cell phone use and enforce it. And then hope parents will address issues at home. I just don't see the the grounds here for a school district to do a lawsuit. 303-696-1971. Do you see a basis for this lawsuit for school districts to be suing the social media companies? Now, I do find this one quite rich. The irony of this particular school district getting involved in this lawsuit. Because the Denver Public Schools Board of Education voted unanimously to sue social media companies. Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, and Snapchat. In 2021, an investigation was conducted for DPS by a company called Investigations Law Group, ILG. And they came out with a report that showed that a particular school board member, one Tay Anderson, had attempted to date on multiple occasions, and coercively so, at least two underage girls while he was a candidate, while he was a school board member. And ladies and gentlemen, the platform that Tay Anderson used to pursue these underage students was Snapchat. As I wrote back in 2021, Anderson, then a 20-year-old candidate, but a candidate for the school board, Attempted to date a 17-year-old high school girl he met at a fundraiser. Anderson and the teen, who was a Douglas County School student at the time, played online games together. Anderson, quote, then began to pursue her for dates. Most of their exchanges happened over Snapchat, a social media platform where messages disappear after being viewed. The teen told investigators Anderson asked her to go, quote, stargazing or a sleepover at his place with him. Anderson claims he was merely flirtatious with her. To this high schooler, though, he was more than just flirtatious. Quote, he made me feel extremely uncomfortable and scared to go places in the case I would see him, she told investigators. He harshly, he had harshly rebuked her when she rebuffed his advances, saying, quote, you're such a pussy, just come, he told the teen. The teen told investigators, quote, I never hung out with him in private, and I thank God every single day for that because he, who knows what would have happened. But in 2020, he exchanged Facebook and text messages with another high school girl, a 16-year-old DPS student. On July 11th and 16th, 2020, Anderson posted googly eyes in response to the teen's, in this case, Facebook story. And at one point, he said, pause, is that your room? And he asked in uh, exchange after they swapped numbers and texted, do you still stay with family or do you have your own spot? Hmm. Apparently, he didn't know the age of the student, 16. 
so he said, and that he ended up finding out the individual as age, and I was like, whoa, that was a mistake on my end. But it began on Facebook in that case. I'm, I just find it rather interesting when you look at this school board lawsuit talking about hurting mental health. When you have a student, a teenage girl, who says he made me feel extremely uncomfortable and scared to go places, that to me suggests a little bit of harm to one's mental health. When you're talking about the harms of social media, that seems to apply in this case. When considering his vote for this proposed lawsuit, did Director Ante Anderson recall, keep in mind, the uh, irony of the ILG report? I'm not so sure about that. So two big takeaways. I don't think that this lawsuit makes much sense, number one. And number two, at least one out of the seven is a little bit hypocritical in this lawsuit, especially since he also used social media. The report found to intentionally intimidate witnesses on multiple occasions, witnesses in the investigation. Oh, and in 2018, when he was a district employee, he used social media to violate the district's policy for retaliation. Hmm. Go figure. The irony just so rich. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for Deborah Flora. Our telephone number 303-696-1971. We've got a few minutes more on the other side as we continue. On Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710 KNUS. Rabbit up and winding down. Jimmy Sangenberger in for Deborah Flora today. Great song from Blues Traveler, Runaround. And I'll talk a little bit about this with Stefan, who's broadcasting live today from Washington, D.C., and I'll be joining him in the first segment. Um, I'm getting the runaround from Denver Public Schools, where I put in an Open Records Act request on a simple line item about a $3,500 payment, settlement payment, made in March for an agreement supposedly reached last October for the aforementioned uh, Tay Anderson. And I cored and asked for some emails, any invoices, um, the agreement, things like that. And they said, it's going to take us ten and a half hours to investigate this. And, uh, oh, by the way, we want you to pay $319 for the staff time. Getting the the public records runaround to DPS. Talk about that with uh, Stefan again. He's broadcasting live from Washington, D.C. today. And, by the way, be sure to tune in tomorrow. We're going to just have some fun. It's 10 years of my show, The Jimmy Sangenberger Show, right here on 710 KNUS. Got some great stuff planned, including my grandpa Walt will be joining us. He is the guy who started it all, inspiring me to talk radio at the age of 12 because of his strong introduction to Rush Limbaugh and then some. Uh, We will have some fun with him and more. Sam Zackham's coming on. Uh, We've just got some great memories happening and more your calls 
Join us, 6 to 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. One other thing that I want to talk about on the issue of education, I wrote about this in the Denver Gazette on Tuesday in my column, targeting charters in Jefferson County schools. There's something in every school district that was legally set up a number of years back as a requirement. It's called the District Accountability Committee. And under Colorado law, each district has to have one of these DACs, primarily constituted by parent and community volunteers. Unlike parent-teacher associations, a DAC's job is to help determine the root causes of lagging student achievement and develop a unified improvement plan, as it's called, for the district. So they're supposed to, these accountability committees, empower parents to make real change in their kids' education by directly holding districts accountable as an independent committee of the board. And state statute, state law establishes the basic roles of these DACs. Anything beyond that is authorized specifically by the school board. Oh, we want you to take on this additional role. Okay, good. Well, in Jefferson County, the District Accountability Committee, a year or two ago, took it upon itself to add into the bylaws for the DAC that they can weigh in on charter school renewals in the district. Now, state law only mandates, and the standard practice in Jeffco has been that DACs can give their thoughts as community representatives on whether or not to improve and approve an initial charter school application. But here, the DAC took it upon itself without consulting the school board or the school district without having legislation giving them the power to say, well, we're going to weigh in on charter school renewals, which is a big deal because normally when you're doing renewals under law, you're supposed to only consider a certain limited set of things, specific items that you can look at and say, hmm, okay, are their financials in order? Is their enrollment where they've, expected those kinds of things okay good you're meeting the terms of your contract we'll renew you district staff will do a thorough examination department by department but in this case the DAC said no we're adding it to our bylaws and then they went ahead and they actually recommended non-renewal for one charter school back in March of this year and here's the kicker They don't even know. Nobody seems to know how in the world the district got this. uh, The the district accountability committee in Jeffco got this power in the first place. Literally, the guy who is the liaison, he's a. The chief of schools, his name is David Weiss, and he said, quote, yeah, I know David Weiss, like the prosecutor looking into Hunter Biden. But a different David Weiss. Last year was the first year the DAC Charter Subcommittee weighed in on renewals. Weiss, who's the district's liaison to the DAC, told the board. In our cursory review, it's not really clear to us when the DAC was charged with weighing in on charter renewals. I'm not 100% sure when that ended up in those bylaws. What? 
The school district's liaison to the DAC, the senior advisor for the DAC himself, told the school board a couple of weeks ago, I don't have any idea how they gave themselves this power or when they gave themselves this power that you, the school board, never gave them and that state law never provided to them and that they've never had in the past. And now the District Accountability Committee is being used as sort of a weaponized tool to go after charter schools in Jefferson County. And by the way, there's more that the district is doing, I'm digging into, more that the district is doing that is harming charter schools and school choice. And we should be empowering every opportunity for parents to decide for themselves where to send their kids that will be in the best interests of their kids. As only a parent can determine that the school would never care about, the school district could never care about the level of a parent. They care. Teachers care about their students, but not like a parent does. Give them maximum choice. And charter schools and school choice are under attack in Jefferson County. Jefferson County residents beware, especially if you're on a wait list for a charter school or your kid already goes to a charter school because charters are being targeted right now in Jeffco. Well, that is it for me today. Stefan Tubbs up next from Washington, D.C. And tomorrow morning, tune in for a fun special anniversary edition, one decade of the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Just going to have a great time, 6 to 9 in the morning. Tune in then. The hour has flown right on by. Have a great weekend. See you tomorrow. And as I always say, may God bless America. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.